Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Pete Carroll. And I'm Audrey Cabanessia. And this is Amplify Voices, Conversations from the Heart, a podcast where our goal is to really, truly listen. We're inviting some of the most inspiring thinkers, dreamers, and change makers alive today to come on in and speak their truth. To speak what's on their heart. Everyone's got a story to tell. We're all these complex, multifaceted beings, and we have so much to contribute. But being truly seen and heard for who you are, that's rare. As we like to say, we see you, we hear you, and we love you. Welcome to Amplify Voices. Let's meet our guest. Ranjay Gulati is a distinguished business professor, author, speaker, and consultant whose best-selling books and academic research lead the conversation around what it means to be a truly resilient organization. He's the former head of the Organizational Behavior Unit and former chair of the Advanced Management Program at Harvard Business School. He teaches senior executives and advises high-growth companies on strategy, organizational design, and courageous and caring leadership. His research helps startups stay solvent, executives build purpose-driven organizations, and business leaders tackle everything from customer relationships to global recessions. Enjoy this next conversation with Ranjay Gulati. Ranjay, hi. How are you? <laughs> Great. Great to see you both. You too. You too. You too. Um, we're so happy that you could talk to us because, of course, this conversation and this podcast around Amplify Voices is our opportunity to be able to reach out to voices that are out there doing really extraordinary things to have an impact in people and to give them a platform and, and also some takeaways for people to really walk away and say, how can I apply this to my life? How can I have it change and reshape and reframe today? You know, So you, I mean, you have such an incredible background in the work that you're doing. Of course, you and Pete got connected, um, given um, you being the head of the Behavior Organization Unit at Harvard. But we're so excited that you're here and you can start to talk about what, you, uh, what you're doing Disconnected. Rajay, we're hooked yeah. up. Here we go. <laughs> there we go. Thanks for coming. Really, thanks for participating in this. This is, this is exciting for us. Well, I'm delighted to be here. And I want to tell you what fascinated me in from my work with Pete and learning about Pete's model. And, and I actually had a unique position because through Pete, I met everybody who influenced him. So I did this little mm. ethnographic journey into meeting these people who he <laughs> met early in his life. And, and what I discovered a common theme across all these people was, it was all about, they were all fascinated in unlocking human potential. It was a common theme, like how do I, what's the unlock that 
all of us want to live up to our potential. We talk about it, we want to do it, we have an intention to do it, but what's the unlock? And how do you think about unlocking human potential? And, and it came back to me was, in, I, when I was a graduate student in the 90s, I had read this article that came out in 19, it was a 1989 study by a guy called Daniel Chambliss. And it was called The Mundanity of Excellence. Hmm. And he studied competitive swimmers because he said swimming is the ultimate sport where you can see individual performance. Otherwise, it's all messy because there's a team involved, but swimming is, it's you, uh, right? Yeah, your timing, you're competing with you, right? So he, mm-hmm. he decided he was going to look at the performance of swimming. And there's a stratification in swimming. You can be local town level, community level, and, it, and there's a whole hierarchy. To get to the Olympic level, you've got to work your way up the chain. And so he worked his way. He studied all levels, and then he went and zeroed in on the Olympic level athletes. And he found a couple of things. This is 1989, right? Practice doesn't make perfect. A number of hours practice didn't seem to matter as much. Talent also didn't drive likelihood of getting to the Olympic level. And personality type didn't either. So he was like, what is it? And then, and then he interviewed this woman, Mary Meager, who won three Olympic gold medals in the Los Angeles Olympics. And she also talked about the ordinary uh, secrets to success. They were asking her, like, what did you do? You were so incredible, world champion, this, that. But it was interesting to me see that in sports too, people have theories and they can, this was a sociologist. He wasn't a coach. And, and so that was my first kind of exposure to the idea that human performance, there's an unlock element to it that comes from understanding the psychology or the sociology or the behavioral element surrounding an individual. And that became a fascination for me. That's kind of the beginning of my journey. You know, Raj, when you, you you mentioned some of the people that you went back and interviewed, and, and there, there was a you know humanistic psychology was was available to us at one point, and there was a time when it was about human potential and all, and there was a lot of conversation during my academic years. Uh, it was still topical and all, but human humanistic psychology kind of kind of fell off the the map somewhat. But there there was a real following, and you're right about. It. I was really connected with a lot of people at the time that were really tuned into to human performance, and not just in sports, but in many things. But for us, of course, it always connected us back to the game and and all. But uh, there there's some interesting souls, you know, that you that you contacted and connected with that have a unique way of looking at the world. I, I thought and. And they uniquely influenced me uh, to see things a little bit, you know, in the way that you've studied in, in the, the, the yeah. case study that you put together. You know, we should talk about that. Like who, we should, who were some yeah. of them? Well, we, we, let's, let's see who, who, who Ranjay uh, connected with. <laughs> what are the ones, the people that, that influenced him? Uh, okay. Uh, well, uh, a number of people. And I wanna, before I get to that, I want to just touch on one thing that came, a common theme sure. across all of them. And it was kind of organizing frame for me. I was getting confused because... You know, when I talked to the, the, the founder of uh, Esalen, you know, the owner of Esalen. Michael Murphy. And, uh, M- Mike Murphy. He had a different perspective. And, and each of them had a different perspective. Now, what I kind of finally realized was they were coming at at three levels. There was the psychological level. That how am I going to work on the individual psychology to really help them? There was a sociological level. How will I create a system around which a person, so that they perform better, right? So one is the individual psychology, one is the sociology, 
And the third was spiritual. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. I mean, there was, there was an undercurrent of this kind of spiritual conversation that it was almost like that you were tapping into an unknown reservoir. You so remember, there was a reservoir. Yeah. Remember, uh, you vi- visited with Tim Galway, and, and Tim Galway mm-hmm. found his teachings that have become you know, historic in, in the world of performance and in sport through his experience that took him to the East. And he went and did his, his studies and, and did, became an Eastern philosopher uh, in, in a sorts that brought it back to the Western world and involved all of that thinking into his teachings as a, as a tennis coach. And it was fascinating to me back in the day that, that that's where it came from. But there was truly a spiritual connection for him in, in his learning uh, the, the time he spent back there. Well, you know what? There's also an ironic twist in there uh, for you, Pete, which is I'm Indian. Sure. It's all come, and I have disavowed all this stuff. You know, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm I'm a I'm a man of the West, <laughs> and so I meet all these people who are completely, and they I think some of them assume that, oh, Ranja, you're Indian, you get it, you know, you know this <laughs> stuff, right? And I'm like, and I'm like, no, I don't, and uh, and then and then it reminded me of my first visit to Marin County, where Pete I think was, sure. grew up. And Marin County is like a mini, I don't know, uh, out there, India, if you will, (laughs) as well. So it was just interesting because I think there was a fascination with the East, but it was more than that. It was a fascination with really unlocking yourself uh, and and discovering who you really are. But it was potential externally, which could be in sport, Mm -hmm. which is what Tim Galloway did. But Mike was talking about potential internally, yeah. like you as a human being, evolving yourself, evolving your soul, if you will, even. We, we were like, able to, con- you, gonna- you know, Raja, we were able to connect the, uh, the, the value of focus through mindfulness. And, and it, it actually took, I know Tim and Mike, both, both those guys went back and they were uh, really devoted meditators. And they learned all about the, the whole science and all of that and brought that into their, you know, their Western way of looking at the world. And they made the, the terminology, the, the understandings, the principles, you know, kind of workable and manageable for a Western perspective, which was all about you know, winning and kicking ass and, and, you know, and, and beating the guy next to you. And, and, and they found a way to make sense of that. It really captured me back in the day. Yeah. And I think, it, I think that was the big bridge, the divide that you bridged was taking this work that was done at a very individual, individual level yeah. and say, I'm going to bring it to the team. Mm. Right. I'm going to bring it to the team. I'm going to bring it to a collective of people. And I'm also going to wrap around it this kind of culture. That's why I think the psychology meets sociology is very important. Yeah. Because so- sociology is all about social context. And psychologists are working on the individual. And I think it's the blending of the two that I think came together. And I, when I talked to Tim, that's what he made out. You know, yeah. what was he looking at? He was looking at tennis and golf, yeah. very mm-hmm. individual sports. And to him, the intriguing element was that Pete took my idea and really morphed it and made it something different and brought it to the context of a team sport. You know, we had an event uh, at, at SC um, one evening where we invited Tim to come in and we talked about our approach at, at USC at the time and the philosophy with the, with the distinct uh, uh, you know, uh, criteria of, Mike, is this possible to teach the inner game, which is, was his, you know, his baby, uh, uh, which was a, a manner of teaching an individual athlete, sport athlete, to perform in a group setting and actually 
coached the whole team as their kind of one mind. And and he was he you know I had him listen to the way we were doing things and to evaluate. And at the end of the night was he was going to make the call whether you know it was teaching the inner game to an entire team rather than just an individual. And, and uh, you know, it was kind of set up. <laughs> I knew he was going to answer the way I wanted him to. But uh, but it was, it was that's exactly what we were bridging. We were bridging the the, the teaching of, of an individual athlete and in a group setting to teach a team with, with in, as, as kind of one mind approach. And, uh, and so, you know, that's what we've been doing for a long time. Well, I think that bridging was, I think, is key. And I think that's what I think was going wrong. We are so uh, fragmented in how we study problems. And we look at individuals or we look at collectives, Mm -hmm. right? And I think connecting individuals exist in the context of collectives. And I'll tell you, as sociologists, people like to debate. They're saying that, oh, as uh, as one person, one uh, famous uh, sociologist at Stanford once said, he said, Psychology is all about individual choice and sociology is about having no choice at all. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and so the question is that how do these two interact? Um, but I, I just found it fascinating just to see that you can elevate somebody's performance to a level that they didn't think was possible. Mm-hmm. That they didn't think was possible, right? You're taking them outside of what they felt was in the realm of possibility to them, and and that is is, is extraordinary to watch. Um, yeah, it, it has been an approach that that we've uh, you know we've just engaged ourselves in for such a long time now about setting uh, a vision for a, 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 a player, setting a vision for a team that goes beyond what they might be able to imagine that's always been part of it so that we you know we we reach beyond what seems feasible knowing that you might not get there but that's still going to take you to great heights and give you an opportunity to be successful along the way you can find really uh, high level consistency if you continue to shoot high uh it's the, the the problem one of the things that comes out of inner game thinking from from galway is that if if you meet your expectations, then you kind of—that's kind of where you, you you begin to let down, and it's hard to go beyond that. So our expectations have to be orchestrated and, and, and structured in a manner that will allow us to keep reaching and continue to go. I would never set like we needed to be a national championship or, we, or a champion, or we needed to be a world champion as the as the goal. We want to see how many times we can do that, and how 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 many times you can put that back to back is really the kinds of ways to, to set our expectations so that we never really did ever meet them. Mm-hmm. We don't want to. We don't want to get to. Them. We want to just keep striving for what we want, you know. And that was all part of that thinking. And and you know, Pete, it's interesting. You're talking like a CEO. Now I'm putting my business school professor hat on. <laughs> I mean, you talk to a CEO of a corporation and you ask them, "What do you want to get out of your people?" And they will say exactly what you just said. Mm. So to me, the fascination thing is how portable these lessons are that you have worked out in your experience as a football coach. To the world of business. Because what are businesses, right? They're collectives where you're trying to harness the efforts of the individual towards a collective goal. That's right. And, and, you're, and you want everyone to hopefully perform at their highest potential because then that's the only way the collective will succeed in a competitive ma- landscape. Yeah, that is perfect. And that, so, that's the connection or the the point in which of the interest of the case study, right? So you did a case study, you just completed a case study, and I know that you're now starting to integrate it into lessons. Um, 
tell us about the impetus of the case study and how that right there became what you discovered and what you started to see. Because I know early on we had a conversation and you had said, boy, here I am talking to all these CEOs all this time and I meet this coach who all of a sudden, how did he how did he center himself around something that was so impactful that like you're talking about? Hey, before you start, I want you to know that, that when they came to, to me and said, you know, they wanted to do a case study on, on our approach or whatever. Uh, what the heck are you talking? I didn't know what a case study was, for one. <laughs> but uh, what the, you're taking us to Harvard. What the heck is that going right. to be like? I had no idea what this was going to be. So uh, he, he's, he's done, <laughs> done some pretty cool stuff here. But yeah, yeah. L- let, let our listeners hear, hear about that. Yeah. Tell us about the case study. So, so look, what do we do at, at Harvard Business School? We teach by the case method. So a case method is, is really getting the students to induce and learn a way of leading through a story, right? You're not lecturing them. They're debating and discussing the case. And in the context of leadership, you know, there have been kind of many people from McGregor onwards who've talked about theory X and theory Y, that these different models of leadership. And, and, and to me, the interesting thing was Pete was kind of an aberration, right? He was an oddball in an industry that does it differently. And, and, it, and, it's, and, and so that was interesting in and of itself. Yep. Whether it was right or wrong was irrelevant. Yep. It was just it. different. It was just different. And, and then I was, the more I learned about Pete, you know, and I kind of sort of knew Pete's model, but the more I started to dig into it, I realized this is so relevant to the world of business today. And I'll tell you the context of that. What's happened is there's a huge movement now in business to talk about purpose-driven, right? We need to be purpose-led or mission-driven. And part of the idea there is that there's a human unlock that human beings, when they work in a purpose-driven organization, will change the relationship they feel with their employer. It's not a transaction. It becomes a relationship. It's an investment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And... and the idea is, how do you go away from what we, you might call in football terms, do your job, to I, I do it for the team. I do it for my coach. I do it for myself. And this kind of idea that can an organization, can a leader and the organization unlock this mindset? And I've seen it in some organizations, like I've been looking at the Marine Corps and how the Marine Corps motivates and energizes their people to really risk their lives. And the parallels are uncanny. Like, I mean, you, you know, I'm going to work out a case on the Marine Corps, I hope, in the coming months, and I'll show it to you. Um, you know, the, the commitment you feel to your teammates and to your superiors and the organization are such that you're willing to die for it. Um, how do you get that kind of performance? How do you get that kind of commitment out of your people? That's the holy grail in business, right? If you can unlock that. So to me, this case, the, the more I dug into it, the more it became a no-brainer mm. that this case had to be written, you know? And I was so excited and I felt really lucky to be writing this case and getting the chance to write it. Ranji, how did, you know, one of the interesting things as you start to delve into human potential is very distinct, right? If you just say performance, there's something um, 
there's some bit of a cause and effect that immediately comes in, right? But when you start to talk into human potential, it's very inclusive. It's very connected. And it's it's very much, like you said, psychology and sociology. But then there's the spiritual quality of it. There's that domain of faith and the unseen and all of that. One of the biggest things that I know in my own experience is as I go and inquire into human potential conversations, there's things that I wanted to get but what I really get is all the unexpected stuff that comes on top of what I wanted to accomplish. And that's that nonlinear kind of way that you inquire into something. I'm so intrigued to see doing the case study, what came out of your own personal life, right? What started to emerge that was like, I wasn't expecting that, <laughs> right? So to use Pete's language, you know, it's, it's always good to get coached up by Pete, right? <laughs> And, and it was an interesting experience for me. So I'll tell you what I learned. And this is, it's been on my mind, but Pete brought it to the surface. A couple of things. The first thing was, we always teach leadership as being about managing other people, right? Even human potential was, I want to develop you so that you will perform better for us, right? So that's what leadership is. So you're a leader, get everybody performing to the highest level so that the team or the company can do better. And I'll do better and you'll do better. Everyone does better. So leadership is an outer journey about managing others. But I think what I also learned from Pete was there's another side of the story. Leadership is an inner journey. You got to learn to manage yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and, and that's the spiritual part of it that kicks in as well. That, you know, if you don't understand what's your purpose in life. So, and it, I got a hint of it first. And Pete says, I, ask some, I do ask people sometimes, What's your purpose? Or he did that with the, uh, with the Microsoft executives. And I wasn't sure where that was going at first. I thought that's a side, I thought that's a side show. Maybe mm. Pete's doing that. But I've come to realize that leading others is as much about managing others as it is about managing your own self. And so as a teacher of leadership, even I had to figure out for myself, like, you know, hey, what's my purpose? Why am I doing, why do I do what I do? Why? Audrey Cavanessia here, Chief Content Officer for Amplify Voices, Pete Carroll's media company, co-host to Coach Carroll on our breakout podcast, Conversations from the Heart, and I'm now also hosting a new podcast called Unlikely. Unlikely is an entertaining, diverse, educational podcast for leadership soft skills, and expertise that will develop you as much as it inspires you. I will be talking about leadership with every type of professional person you can imagine, and then I will distill those leadership lessons, enabling you to start practicing them that day. This is a podcast for businesses, startups, entrepreneurs, influencers, college students stepping into a career, or anyone who wants to take hold of what they're up to and confidently, effectively manage and lead. Professionally, I'm a creative executive, but I also spent 15 years training leaders around the world and leading leadership courses to over 100,000 people across the United States. I picked an educational leadership podcast because it is a passion of mine, but also because professionally, we are challenged by uncertainty and anxiety, working out of our homes, which is overwhelming, fallen leaders are falling all around us, cancel culture is now the norm, we still can't get this diversity thing on the right path, and damn it, we are tired. 
So going forward, we really need to look outside the old leadership paradigm. We need tangible insights and skills to turn this uncertainty into success. And I want Unlikely to bring those skills to you. Please listen to Unlikely and be part of the conversation today. Well, you know, that it's, it's interesting that you should go there because at the heart of everything that we stand for and that we do, it's about caring for the people that you, you, we work with. And, and so if that's the case, and what does that mean? That means for us, to, in every way, we want to help our people be everything they're possibly within their reach, whatever they could possibly create, we would like to see if we can help them find their way there. Well, we have found that the way to do that is to care so much about the individual that you'll look at every single turn, every aspect of their makeup, understand them, relate to them, motivate them, inspire them, love them up, kick them in the ass, whatever it takes to get them to go as far as they get to, to in to c- capture this this wonderful potential that each person has, whichever it is, and it's all individual. It's not it's not canned at all. It's all connected to the to the individual person, and it's all about caring to me. That, that that's that's how it's been. So it's been so important to that you've seen that to me. I mean, you've seen it enough. You're now you're teaching MBA students and you're teaching CEOs and you're you know you're you're sharing that with them because I've always thought that that was the essence of helping people find their best, and but. I didn't feel like other people understood it that way. I didn't feel like people taught it that way. And particularly, they didn't coach that way. And so I have been an outlier. I've always felt like that. I've never felt like I was one of the guys, in, you know, one of the fellas in, in, in this thing. I always felt like, yeah, I, mean, I, I coach football. And we, we're hard-hitting. We're tough. And we're all that kind of stuff. But we're not trying to get there because that, that way. We're trying to get there to capture the potential that every individual has and then then believe in ourselves and an ability to orchestrate that and coordinate that. Most people think, and you've had the questions come to you when you ask about the approach, people don't think that you can be as disciplined or you can't be as tough or you can't be as demanding. That's totally wrong. It's the opposite. You can demand everything of people. You can expect everything of people when you give them everything that you have to give. And so uh, it, that, that has been really the, the thing that's been interesting to me to see you guys that are studying this and talking about capture. Oh, this is about caring. It is. It's about love. It's about caring and love, and that's a, that's that's where I can find my best effort to 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 you know to help others. But I think that's so great, which made which I love about you doing the case study on it and now integrating it and teaching students because I think the part that had you be such an outlier or an oddball or whatever you want to call it is that I think outlier pe- was better than oddball. Okay, I like <laughs> sorry, 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 outlier. But I think one of the odd things is people hear caring and then they, it's especially around performance and business, they hear caring and they go, oh, I can either be caring or I can be tough. And they think there's an either or there, and it's not. Actually, what Pete is saying, you could just you can you can demand the best of people. You could do all those things. I'm just saying, come from this foundation of caring, and you'll see how it reshapes your life. Yeah. What, what have you found, Ranjay? As you ask your people, what, what are you seeing? In because you're you're uncovering some cool it, stuff here. It's this is exactly the kind of and and Pete, you were there in the class when this conversation came up with my students, right? Uh, they don't under they sometimes some of them perceive. Caring and, and challenging is not going together. Yeah. Or discipline is not going. Somehow caring means unconditional love. Right? I don't care. I, I care so much that even if you don't perform, I'm going to let you. And I, it's like my mother's love, you know, unconditional love. And, and I think they don't know. Caring is also in the aid of challenging and supporting you. 
and I care so much for you that I'm going to push you hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that somehow we confuse caring as weakness, right. caring as lack of discipline, mm -hmm. caring as non-performance. And I think is, you know, Pete, I know you use the word caring, but I'll tell you, a lot of people don't understand that word. Yeah. Hmm. They don't understand it. Can I tell that story about my father? Please, Please. Yeah, I was, yes. I was anxious for you to do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. So I told Peter, I didn't even remember this story. And, and, and I'm telling you, this, this case has given me a vocabulary, but also a way to process things I sort of didn't understand about myself. So I told Pete the story. So my father passed away a few years ago, and I had to go to India for his funeral and his last rites. And at the... Uh, one of the, the funeral event, you know, a, 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 a lady was standing in the corner and she was standing in the corner away from the crowd. And so I went up to her and I said, uh, thank you for coming. And who are you? And, and she says, well, I used to come. I come every day to clean your father's house, the toilets and the, the floors and mop the floors. So she's the cleaning lady. And I know you, unfortunately, you know, so she is she cleans houses and she doesn't do one house. She goes house to house to house. She starts her day at six in the morning and she does about 20, 22 homes every day. Mm. Right? So she's going house to house to house. So I asked her, I said, okay. I said, well, thank you for coming because she'd taken time off to come there for this thing. She says, I want you to know that I'm really going to miss your dad. So I said, well, thank you for that. I'm going to miss him too. And she says, no, you don't understand. She says, I clean 20 homes every day. And your father was the only person who really cared about me. Wow. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, she said, well, he was the only one who genuinely wanted to know me and my family and who I was and what was happening in my life. If I had a problem, I knew I could count on him. He would be there to support me if ever I needed any help. I knew that. I never had to, but I knew if I did, he was there for me. And I kind of hadn't processed this idea of caring and what it means, and what does it mean to the person, right? What does it elicit? What kind of reaction do you get? And what, what do you get back in return, right? And, and, and to me, that was the realization that, you know, when you care for somebody, well, they, they care back. And, and, and you elicit loyalty, you elicit trust, you elicit commitment, you elicit performance, because they want to do it for you. That's right. And what do we know from decades of research? People will do a lot more when they're doing it for a, a bigger cause than themselves. Sure. That's right. This story to me, when, when Ranji told me this, I just thought, this, this is the story. Yeah. This, this is the next book. This is, because this is about caring. This is a, such a fascinating way to connect to the caste system and all the stuff that goes on in, in, in your country. And, and to share the, that, how you, all of those boundaries can fall to the wayside when you really do give of yourself to the people that you're dealing with. And it doesn't matter where a person comes from or their background or their history or their color or whatever, that when you care so much and they know that you care, you prove to them that you care through your caring, that it connects you in a way that takes you to places that you could never get to in any other way. Yeah. You could never even approach it. And this is, to me, this is like the essence of, of all of the lessons, this is my favorite lesson that I've ever come across because it's so obvious what, what, you know, what took place in this exchange. And I just think it's, it's, it's amazing. So so moving. Yeah. And I think one of the things where, where we don't have this example yet because we're living into the expansion of what is caring and what does it look like, right? But if you look at it in history, I mean, it's like back in the day and before human potential stepped in through 
30-something years ago as a focus that then went into organizations. So you started to really go into to, um, business training and consulting. Breakthrough was only a word that we used in domain of science. And then when human potential came along, it was applied to human beings who were being and how we're communicating and how we're expressing and our self-expression. And now break- breakthroughs are in our lexicon. We've, we've expanded how we use that word. Well, and exactly. That's, that's why, why is this not in the world of business? Yeah. Why, it, why, and caring and that's, that's, hasn't been expanded yet, why, right? Why is, if, why is this not just part of the vernacular? Yeah. Because it is part of performance. Yeah. <laughs> and that business, in essence, is about performance. But when it's connected and it's meaningful and, and everybody understands where everybody's coming from and they know that you care about them and they feel the belongingness of the organization and, and the effort and the purpose, the... What you can create is you can't even measure. We can't even measure that the, the ability that for people to improve and to produce at a higher rate. So I'm hoping. But that's you, the you problem, Pete. That's the issue. That's the issue. You just said it, Pete. The problem in business is if you can't measure. What did uh, John Doerr had a book? Measure what matters. If you can't measure it, you can't manage <laughs> it. So we have all these uh, common wisdoms in business that you know. And and I think somehow somewhere. Our model of organizing, organizing people, turned into what people, economists, loosely call, they describe an organization as a, a nexus of contracts. That's the, the, the way economists describe organizations. So say that again. What, say that again. It's a what of uh, the... What, a, a nexus of contracts. A nexus contracts. of the contract, yes. So everyone is a contract. Every human being is a contract. You're not a human being. You're mm. a contract. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're, as long as you live up to your contractual obligation, I will live up to my contract. So we are in a, in a transactional exchange. Yeah. And I think there's a pushback now to challenge that. Let's even take the, content, the story I just told you. What I think I learned from you and your language was, here was somebody who was invisible to everybody. She went to 20 homes every day. Right. No one ever talked to her. She was invisible. And, and she has one person who makes her feel visible. Mm. That's a language you've used. And mm. that's a language we are talking about in the whole movement towards diversity, equity, and inclusion today. Right. You know, how do we give people a sense that they're visible to us? How do we create that sense that they are an individual? Now, back to the organizations, I think the whole issue is, how do we go from a nexus of contracts to what some have called a nexus of commitments? Mm. Right, that you are here because you have a sense of commitment to me, and I have a commitment to you. We have a mutual commitment. Sure, we have an economic contract. Sure, it's there. Sure, you're going to get paid. All that good stuff. But what energizes and propels you to do what you do? Yeah, it, is you, that sense of commitment. Yeah, yeah. And, and what what you're appealing to is not the end result. You're appealing to the process, and you're appealing to the 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 day to day existence and the functioning and, and the way people approach the way they walk into that building and, and 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 commit themselves to that day. And when you give them this connection of of this different way of dealing with things, you're gonna get more from them, and they're gonna enjoy it more, and they're gonna have an enriched feeling with the people that they work around them. And that's the whole point, you know. And, and I, I don't in my brain, I can't understand why. It's not more obvious because I know, and I've just witnessed it over so many years, how you can 
you can nurture a culture to grow into something extraordinary and one that it, it's unforgettable. And in essence, it's unmatchable too. To, it, it seems to be. And, and that's, it's worth it. It's worth going there. And you know, it doesn't take that much, Ranjay. It, 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 it calls for you to care enough to see the person that you're talking to. To hear the person you're talking to, it's all so much about listening and, and, and receiving that other person. So, because when people are seen and when they're heard, and the people of color are screaming for this in yeah. our culture, they just want to be seen and heard as the individual that they are. And they deserve it, and we need to go there, and we need help. And if that was the way we were operating, let me see the bottom line later on. You show right. me. You show me that it's not some place that you never thought it could go. I know that that's what's going to happen. And and so it's 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 so exciting that you, for me, after all these years, you've taken this this charge of writing a case study. I couldn't believe this whole process was ever going to come true. I just I hated that. I I just couldn't wow. imagine that you could figure anything out that was worth it. But you did. Uh. And then the fact that you're sharing it with you know all kinds of types in, yeah. in the business and the corporate world. I'm 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 so grateful for that, and, yeah. and uh, I hope it you know hope it has some legs for the future. No, absolutely, and I think you know there there the, there is much more to learn. I think I feel that the case study now I'm going to be self critical here. I feel the case scratches the surface. Absolutely, yeah. Because we didn't really get there are so many issues that we didn't get to. I'm using it now for that, but like the case doesn't really get to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. So, and you were asking earlier, how has the case impacted me? I'm doing a study right now as a sequel to the case, which is interviewing young people of color and talking to them about what is their experience of work like in the first five years after graduating from college. Mm. All of them are graduates from elite universities working in absolutely blue chip companies. And, and you know, Pete, what is really tragic to hear is how few examples they can draw out of caring leadership. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 and you know what is interesting also is many of them even instinctively know what it is. They know what they need. Sure. Yeah. We're just not equipped to give it to them. It's pretty yeah. fundamental. Think, <laughs> That's right. It's pretty, yeah. it's pretty basic. You want to be... You want to be received for who you are and what you are and all of that. Raji, let me ask you a question to, yeah. to kind of give you a chance to wrap up. If you, if you could imagine what could happen with, with what, you, you know, what you've taken away from the, the case study, what would you hope would happen in the future in the, in the, in the corporate world? I, I would like to hope, I really hope, that the case helps leaders, current and future leaders, recognize the merits of a different way to lead. A way to lead that unlocks human potential in the people who work for them. Because you think about it, a leader has massive spillover consequences. If I am a leader of, I have 50 people working for me and below my 50, there's another 500 and then there's another 5,000. I have 50,000 people working for me and then they have their families to whom they go home every day. You know, you can, and you create jobs. And, and you, if, you, if we can take some of these ideas to help them recognize how they can unlock human potential in a way that is a humanistic way rather than a mechanistic way. I think mm -hmm. the problem is we've gone down the path of a mechanistic nexus of contracts way of thinking. Yeah. And we feel it gives us control. There's this false sense of, you know, belief that I'm in control. 
Awesome. Yeah, Ranjay, that's so, so great. And I want to thank you for coming, you know, and spending some time with us to talk about this. And I think, uh, you know, the inquiry for us all to be in is how can we bring caring to this moment right now? Just it's a matter of reframing the moment. There's the automatic choice we would make that we already know. But if we just stop for a second and ask ourselves, how can I bring, bring caring to this moment? And you know what? Like Pete said, there 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 are ways to measure that. You just did with your story with your father and all those homes that she went to, but that one home out of all that time, that's a measure. So uh, we just thank you. We can't wait to talk to you again and hear what's happening with the case study and engage in more things with you. Thank you so much for doing that work and putting putting something tactile and tangible around caring leadership. Thanks, Ranjay. It's my pleasure. Thanks. Really enjoyed doing it. I have learned so much and I'm so, I'm so delighted to have done this and I'm so glad to have, you know, both of you in my life. Oh, so thank you. Let's, oh, let's do more good Same stuff. Here. Let's keep going. Go Harvard, huh? <laughs> thank you. All Bye, right. Ranjay. Go Seahawks. There you go. go. Seahawks. <laughs> he beat me to the punch on that one. I needed to go Seahawks before he said go Harvard. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Amplify Voices. Make sure to subscribe or follow our podcasts so that you don't miss any of our real conversations from the heart. Also, if you like what you've heard, please don't forget to leave us a review or a rating. To keep the conversation going between episodes, visit the Amplify Voices YouTube channel for extras and behind the scenes content. See you the next time on Amplify Voices.